The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Olas Media or its sponsors. Welcome to From the Nest with Charity Jen. I'm your host, Jen Neumeyer. On this podcast, we have casual conversations with folks in the nonprofit field, exploring the success and lessons learned of topics like mentorship and campaign tactics. Last fall, I had the chance to chat with Audrey M. Johnson when she was the Vice President of Institutional Advancement for a Child Advocacy Organization and the President of the AFP DC chapter. But in the nonprofit world, things change fast. Audrey is now the Vice President of Philanthropy for College Track and Blazing New Trails. Our conversation is packed with valuable learnings, including her nonprofit journey, commitment to the nonprofit sector, and the crown jewel of our chat, her amazing experience climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And you'll get to hear what happened at the summit. So stay with us. This is From the Nest with Charity Jen. Hi, Audrey. Welcome to the podcast. It is such a delight to have you here joining me on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be here. <laughs> so um, just to give our listeners a little bit of background, uh, you and I met recently, actually, um, just in the past year, serving on the AFP DC board. We're both here in the DC area. And um, I think just let's kind of dive into a little bit about your history, which is very rich in um, experience and uh, nonprofit sectors. And tell us a little bit about your journey sort of to where you are now and your mm-hmm. kind of your current roles. Wow, yes, I have to go back really far. <laughs> um, so first I'll say, start by saying I'm from Canada. So a big chunk of my career started, happened and started there. Um, you know, when I finished university, I thought I was going to be a lawyer uh, oh, wow. and had aspirations of, you know, going to law school, but needed to work for a while because I graduated with debt, or, you know, as many students do, and I was kind of burnt out. So I worked and ended up um, in a roundabout way uh, after starting communications and doing broadcasting and so on, um, ended up working for a small nonprofit organization that had a huge footprint in in Vancouver, um, uh, uh, Vancouver status of women, I, I, I don't mind saying, they're still around. Yeah. And um, I had the privilege of being one of three staff people there um, in this organization. So that meant we all did everything. Yes. And, and <laughs> fundraising was part of my title. I was the administrative fundraiser. And that was my, my first professional exposure to fundraising. And I kind of had to fly by the seat of my pants and learn on the job, um, you know, how to do direct mail, how to do um, events, uh, how to write grant proposals. And it was uh, in that role I also got introduced to, at the time, I think it was um, um, CFRE or it was a different name than than the Association of Fundraising Professionals um, at the time. But it was a professional organization that um, was more, more heavily on the marketing side, but 
had fundraisers and fundraising components to their professional development. Uh, so I got involved with that organization. And, um, and you know, after doing that, I went on to a, a larger national organization, at, you know, as, a, as an executive director. And of course, we know executive directors, you know, 80% of your job is fundraising. Yeah. So, um, uh, and I've always been very passionate about social justice issues. And, uh, you know, it, so it was just a continuation of first working for a women's center and then another organization that did legal advocacy work on behalf of women and other marginalized groups in Canada. Um, so, you know, those two organizations combined, you know, that was 15 years of my life. Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Um, and from there, I needed a change after a while and went went into higher ed. And that's where I really got the nuts and bolts of um, fundraising uh, because, you know, universities are their machines when it comes to yeah. fundraising and everybody is so specialized. Um, and so I was fortunate that I ended up in a smaller faculty and again, sort of, you know, having to do jack of all trades, but you had the support of the central office with you and uh, and I got exposure to so many other really seasoned professionals who just had it down pat. Yeah. Um, and I was able to put into practice a lot of what I had learned, you know, in my professional development and also bring in some of those um, more innovative elements from working in nonprofit and in social justice. Uh, so it was a really great marriage of the two. Yeah. Did you find when you were sort of changing sectors that it was a little jarring? Did Was there like an adjustment period for, especially going into higher ed from organizations that, you know, are more sort of direct service? Yeah, I, I think what was jarring for me was the bureaucracy that happens in universities. You yeah. know, there are layers of approvals and you can't just come up with an idea and decide to do it yeah. um, and everything has to be on brand and you know so uh, that that took a little bit of adjusting um, after being so long in organizations where I basically ran the show or you know was uh, among the few decision makers um, but as I said it was it was a really good opportunity for me to hone on um, you know, that discipline that, that you need if you're going to be a, a specialist, you know, a yes. major gift specialist or plan giving specialist. There's that discipline of cultivating donors or, you know, and, um, um, you know, walking them through the pipeline towards a gift and yeah. then cultivating. So uh, then stewardship. So, yeah, that part I really, really valued. I think I got a lot of good, solid experience from that. Yeah. And so you had also mentioned broadcasting, and I think I mm -hmm. saw on your bio, and we may have talked about this, but you were with, were you with a public media station for a short time? That's right. Yeah. Um, when I moved here to the U.S., um, I my first job here was with um, the local NPR station, WANU. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. did that for three years. That was, um, that was also really fun. Mm -hmm. Um that's a different way, it's a slightly different model of fundraising than I had experienced before. Um, 
you know, with the on-air campaigns and so on. And I, but I was doing major gifts there as well. Uh, we were trying to build out our individual giving program uh, and the major gift side. So, so I, you know, I had, I got the opportunity to do that in the context of this environment where um, it's been largely more transactional yeah. in terms of fundraising. So, um, but that was a really fun experience. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you were at WAMU, did they ever? Um, did they ever pull you in to be on air as part of the on-air fundraisers, <laughs> or were you protected a little bit from that? <laughs> yes, they certainly tried, and I was on air um, for one campaign, yeah. um, not doing pitches. It was it was more of a promo thing, but um, okay. yes, they did try. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was able to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, in my um, experience. You know, whoever is available and willing, <laughs> they'll put them in front of the kit. That's how, you know, I got started in the on-air fundraisers when I was in North Carolina. Just like, come on, Jen, like stand in front of the camera. Here's what you say. <laughs> I, I always admired the people who did it because you have to have the gift of the gab. And I yeah. don't think that's that's what I have. You know, I, I'm very much... Um, you know, the person who really values a one-on-one -on -one kinds of conversations and, and I, I, I listen more than I speak. Um, yeah. And, um, I, you know, to be on air, you need to be able to talk all the time and fill that dead space yes. as much as possible. So Yes. Yeah. And um, be prepared for uh, the unexpected. I remember in mm -hmm. one, there was one drive that we had where there were some technical difficulties that was ha that, that something was happening in the control room and they were not able to go back to the program. And so I had to stand there for, I don't know, seven, eight, nine minutes and just, yeah. and just talk. <laughs> So, uh, yes, um, yeah, you really get, you know, I, I guess once you're exposed to a, anything uh, after a period of time, you gain the knowledge and become more comfortable and, mm -hmm. you know, and then, yeah, yeah. And so now let's talk a little bit about sort of where you are now, your role at the AFP. So you are the president of um, AFPDC, and then you are also uh, the um, a part of the global board, the president's um, chapter representative. Is that is that right? Right. Um, yeah. The, yes. This year, I have the privilege of being the president of the AFPDC board. I've been on the board for, this is my fourth year, okay. and I'm, it's hard to believe it's gone by so quickly. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, stepped into the chair in January, and our, in our structure, you're only the chair for one year, and then you, you step off president-elect, chair, and then um, uh, past president. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I'm surrounded by a great group of seasoned professionals like yourself. Mm -hmm. who really care about um, about our members who are other fundraisers in the region who are wanting to develop their their skills um, to network with others and uh, have opportunities for growth um, yeah it's been a great experience really really appreciate all the dedication that uh, others have shown as mm -hmm. part of the board and um, you know, if anyone out there is not a member, I really encourage it because there's lots of benefits to be had 
as I said, the professional development, the education opportunities, and the networking for sure. Mm-hmm. And that connection to our global body, because uh, AFP is an international organization. We have chapters in Mexico, in Canada, in in uh, in Egypt even. Wow. Um, so you really get the benefit of learning from people all over the world. Uh, so as a board member there, I am the uh, chap. I'm a, the chapter president's council representative this year. And how long have you been involved with the AFP? Just the AFP DC, or were you involved previously with another AFP chapter? I was a member of the AFP Toronto chapter, but I wasn't active in um, the leadership there. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, As far as, you know, I remember us having a conversation about um, sort of the benefits of being uh, a part of the AFP. Um, You know, I think that there, there, I mean, there are so many benefits, the professional development and the education, but I remember us um, specifically talking about like the networking um, opportunities. And I, um, was with the um, AFP in North Carolina, as well as on the board of the AFP in Philadelphia. And one of the things I always loved, I actually missed during the pandemic was all of those networking opportunities, because that was, I mean, it was just such a way to connect with other fundraisers in a little bit of a different, uh, aspect than just going to an education session because you can kind of talk about the talk about some of the experiences you're having and the things that they're doing like it's really just sort of this fluid learning um, aspect and and then of course being able to kind of grow your network and mm-hmm. becoming even more connected with others in, you know, different at different charities or doing kinds of, you know, it's really kind of this wonderful idea sharing. Yeah, I yes, I really value that. Um, when I moved here from Toronto, I purposefully joined um, AFP because I wanted to expand my network. I wanted, you know, build community, get to know other professionals. And I found it really validating to be able to reach out and talk to people about things that they were experiencing in their roles or to share bounce ideas off of to see what they were doing that we could try in our in my organizations um that's been hugely hugely helpful mm-hmm. um and i so i encourage others to you know to take advantage of that opportunity uh it's mm-hmm. enabled me to learn a lot about organizations and the work they're doing locally as well and um, you know, so if I'm talking to a donor and I know that they're interested in something that we're not able to offer, I can point them in that direction as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just helped in so many ways the, the mm-hmm. networking opportunity. Yeah. I think having, you know, it's interesting when you're sort of mentioning like being able to give other people connections, like this just happened a couple of months ago where, I, so, um, uh, I think all of the listeners know I uh, work with, um, public media stations across the country and I got a call from, uh, someone who was really struggling because she got pulled into capital campaign discussions Mm -hmm. 
and she's a social media manager. And so it, you know, you know, there, there was, you know, sort of a lot that she wanted to understand about capital campaigns. And this is a small organization and I'm not sure what their resources are for approaching this capital campaign, but we have folks on the board who have wealth, a wealth of knowledge of capital campaigns. And so it was um, like, I feel, felt really great that I could connect the two of these folks together um, so that, you know, she could understand a little bit more about an area of fundraising that is completely new to her. And at the same time, this, um, these folks who have all of this knowledge, you know, it's almost like a, a mentoring kind mm -hmm. of, yeah. you know, relationship. Yeah, I'm glad you mm -hmm. mentioned mentoring because um, I've, I've been fortunate to have a couple of really great mentors that I've met through AFPDC, you know, yeah. who, um, uh, one of them was a, is a former chair, actually a former board chair, um, Barbara O'Reilly, I'll, I'll just give her a plug. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I've, I really valued uh, just watching other leaders, you know, um, and seeing how they operate and you know, how they've moved through the world and listening to the great advice and the benefit of their experience. You know, a lot of that I've, I've been able to cultivate through the relationships that I built in AFP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to your first experience in a nonprofit, which I think is very common for a lot of people who are coming into uh, nonprofits where you start doing one thing and you end up doing five more things. <laughs> you may not have any background on how to create a successful event or how to monitor and manage a direct mail program or, you know, um, even, you know, with uh, major gifts and those kinds of things. So I think that is another element of the AFP that is so beneficial. It's, it's really like, I can't emphasize those learning opportunities, you know, because they're, they're really crucial for mm -hmm. a lot of fundraisers who are coming in and, and don't know, um, and don't have the background and the training and, and a lot, and a lot of nonprofits, you know, are because of the, um, because of the type of organizations that, you know, nonprofits always seem to sort of be a little resource constrained. Mm -hmm. And so there uh, it's rare to have documentation for those um, departments or what someone did before, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, like having the resource of other people to be able to learn from is, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just gold. It's golden. Yeah, it absolutely is. And fundraising is, it's not like being a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, where you, there's a very specific skill set and, you know, training that you have to go through in order to do those jobs. Um, because it's, it's a very relational profession. You know, it's about people. It's, yeah. you know, and, um, um, and each circumstance is different. Each donor is different, you know, and there are different strategies that you have to deploy in order to secure your gifts or, you know, engage those those folks in your in your organization's work. Mm -hmm. There's no hard and fast roadmap to that. You know, we yeah. have strategies and 
uh, best practices that we, um, you know, organizations like AFP is able to help us develop. But um, but ultimately, you know, it's it's a very nebulous kind of field. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're absolutely right um, that uh, you know you, you kind of have to learn as you go and take advantage of those opportunities to learn those new practices or skills or strategies or ideas um, to see how they will work in your organization or for your donor. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's ongoing, continuous learning. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Seems to, there, there is, there is so much um, uh, depth, I think, to mm-hmm. the, the fundraising profession Mm-hmm. that um, it, it is a continual learning process. Mm-hmm. There are always things to, um, to learn and to, um, to understand. Yes. So, yeah. So now um, I'm curious about um, sort of your experience on uh, the global board and being involved in that way. I think that, um, you know, this past year was the first year I had gone to an ICON, an AFP ICON. And for our listeners, mm-hmm. uh, ICON is the, is the big um, global AFP conference that's held every year. And um, what I was surprised, I probably shouldn't have been surprised about it, but, but I was, was as you had mentioned, there are chapters all over the world. Mm-hmm. And there were so many people that I was talking to who were from outside of the country. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even having kind of that perspective of sort of like international fundraising or international organizations was really um, eye-opening for me and something that I just so enjoyed. So um, just sort of like pulling along that thread. So with the, with the global board, do you, do you have those same kind of interactions with the other board members? You know, what, what, uh, what has been your experience? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, the global board does have a representative from each of the chapters uh, in the, well, the main international chapters. So we have, um, we have representatives from Canada, from Mexico, from Egypt on the board. Yeah. Um, and, um, so, you know, we get to hear about the things that they're doing and they're also looking to us for best practices that they can deploy in their regions. Um, you know, we're, the, the bulk of our membership is still very much North America based, um, but we are working hard to develop uh, and connect with fundraising and fund- fundraising professionals in other parts of the world. Um, and fundraising in, the, in other countries look different, looks different than here, and mm-hmm. in some places not as developed as here, um, but we know it happens. So, yeah. you know, we're trying to make those connections and um, uh, develop resources that we can share and, you know, and uh, help help those prof- the, the prof- professionals in those countries become more rooted um, with whatever guidance we can offer and learn from whatever, you know, they can share with us as well. Yeah, that that's, uh, that's really exciting. I, um, it would, it would be so interesting to take a trip to Egypt and, you know, be able to sort of, you know, be, um, uh, uh, ex- experience that, uh, 
you know, their sort of uh, network of, of mm-hmm. folks and the organizations that come together, you know, at, at the AFPDC chapter, we have organizations in all sectors, fundraisers doing all kinds of fundraising work. Mm-hmm. And um, I can just, uh, it, w- it would be really fascinating to be sort of in a different country understanding the kind of work that is done there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even there are lots of our own members who work for international organizations yes. where, um, you know, the services and programs that they're doing happen in other countries. And in, in, in many cases, the funds are still coming from the U.S. Um, and in other cases, they have to fundraise from other countries to de- deliver the programs, you know, in whatever country those programs are happening. For example, I've worked for an international NGO and the bulk of the funds come from the U.S., but also from countries like um, the the U.K., um, Germany, the Netherlands, etc., who also support the work that that takes place in India, throughout Africa. You know, they've been in Central and South America over the years. So, I think in those cases, you still need to be aware of the international landscape for fundraising to, um, to, to understand how it can help or hinder the work that you're trying to achieve, because the rules are different in each of those mm. countries, Yeah, um, where you're getting the money to where it's being spent, and vice versa. So mm-hmm. um, lots, to, lots to be aware of. and. I think having an international organization that kind of has an eye on all of those things, it's really helpful. One of the other things I really appreciate about AFP Global is that they also um, are really intentional about helping to develop their chapters. And so uh, another conference that they do is called AFP Lead, where they bring together chapter leaders from around the country um, and, and around the world, actually. And, you know, we are able to share strategies, we learn about best practices, we learn about, you know, some of the administrative elements of running a chapter. Um, And um, it was at LEAD where I really came to understand that a lot of chapters have many of the same challenges that we do. And we were able to connect to folks who, you know, had similar audiences to us and we could help strategize around how to problem solve and so on. So um, really valuable learning and development for chapters as entities and how to better serve their their members locally. Yeah. And that is usually in the fall. Is it always October? Um, I think so. It's usually around, um, yeah, before November because because we know that, you know, the November, December season is really busy for fundraisers. So I think yeah. we try and be mindful of that. Yes. And I have been to an AFP lead before and um, can 100% vouch for the value of um, participating in that conference. It's, a, it's an excellent one. Yes. And if, if anyone has aspirations to being a board member or a committee volunteer, um, if, you know, it's a really good entry point to understanding the structure and, and all the things that go on at, at that level. Yeah. Let's uh, shift a little bit because there's one thing that I really want to um, dive into, uh, and that is um, 
something that I learned, an activity that I learned about that you were doing, um, it was a few months ago, there was a, I think a committee meeting and, uh, we were sort of getting the committee ready to go, you know, like getting started with the meeting or, you know, and someone said, oh, um, so Audrey's not going to be, uh, able to make it. She's climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, wait, what is, what is happening here? <laughs> and so then at ICON, you shared a little bit about your experience and it was so fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would just love to, if you could share uh, with our listeners, uh, your experience about mm -hmm. the climb and, um, you know, everything, everything involved. I have so many questions. <laughs> so I, you know, I've had, I've had this thing now for many years where every significant birthday, milestone birthdays, I do something to challenge myself out of my comfort zone. So, um, you know, so I've been skydiving and, um, you know, parasailing and, you know, all these crazy things. Dragon boat racing was one that I took up one year. As well, and this year, this this most significant birthday, which was actually delayed because of COVID, um, uh, was to climb Kilimanjaro. Um, and I'm not much of a camper or <laughs> someone who likes to spend overnight outdoors, um, but I did just take on this challenge and trained for a, a year and a half. Um, and did the climb in March of this year. And oh it gosh. was an incredible experience. I'm so glad that I did it. Um, you know, I met, uh, the group that I went up with was a group of complete strangers that, cause I just picked a tour company that, uh, I found online and did some research, um, to feel comfortable with. And it was nine of us from all over the world. Wow. Uh, the people from the U.S., Germany, the U.K., um, Australia. Um, so yeah, it was it was just it was amazing that I ended up with such a great group of people, and yeah. um, and then the the support staff the team that went up with us. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about what the training looked like. You said you trained for mm -hmm. over a year. <laughs> How do yeah. you, what do you, how do you go about, do um, like what, do they give you advice on kinds of things that you, sh that you are going to expect in like a training regimen, regimen that they yes, recommend? They okay. do recommend lots of hiking <laughs> cool. um, yeah. and, um, and cardiovascular work. Uh, you know, so they, you know, they have suggested a program that you can follow. Um, but they, yes, definitely recommend some lots of cardiovascular work and strength training and, and hiking, um, being able to hike, you know, seven to 10 miles in, in a day. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I did that. And actually the best training I did for that was an, a four day trip through the Grand Canyon. Oh, uh, that I did last a year ago, May, um, yeah. leading up to the climb. And, uh, I found that to be the most valuable thing because there you had to train to be able to carry like, you know, 30 to 40 pounds of weight on you and um, being able to hike in the heat. 
and uh, and then sleep in the cold and you know all of that. So it was oh, gosh. that was that was the best preparation. I'm so glad that I did that uh, in in anticipation of the climb to Kilimanjaro. Yeah, and how long uh, how long did it take? How many days nights? So there are different routes that you can take up the mountain okay. mm -hmm. uh, that range from five to nine days, and I did the seven day route. So okay, um, that and and the seven day route is a bit of a compromise. You start at eleven thousand feet, um, so you drive up to eleven thousand feet, and then you walk the rest of the way um over a seven day period and that gives you time to acclimate to the altitude yeah. and um, um and you know get used to the environment and uh yeah and then make it up and come down so the trip was five days up to the summit and then it took us two days to come down oh wow yeah. oh my gosh yeah now, um, I am curious about that altitude experience. Did, did um, you, because I was talking to a friend of mine who also tried to climb um, and went on a climb with her husband and she didn't make it mm -hmm. because she had reaction to the altitude. So can you talk a little bit about that kind of experience? And did anybody else in your group had sort of problems mm -hmm. with that? Yeah, so... Um... It was, everyone in the group made it at least to the crest. Uh, one person didn't go all the way to the summit, he made it to the crest. And there's another, you know, like 500 or so feet from the crest to the actual summit. Um, and one one person uh, took a very long time. She like was three or four hours behind us. But wow. she finished, she did make it to the summit and come back. Um, okay. Yeah, it it is. It was a very trying experience. The night that we had to summit because they you summit at night, okay. um, so it makes for a very long day because you hike to your base camp, which is like a four hour hike, and then you get to rest for a little while, and then you start out for the summit at. Uh, we started out at like ten or ten or eleven at night, wow. and then it was a seven hour hike up until. Oh. So we arrived at the summit the next morning. Oh my gosh! So you're hiking all night. All night, all Ooh, night. And oh I have gosh. to tell you, that was the most challenging thing I've ever done. Yeah. Because you're exhausted already, and um, you are in you know pitch dark except for your headlamp, and um, uh, I after a while my back started to really hurt. And then the altitude sickness kicks in. Oh, <laughs> so you're feeling nauseous and you have a headache and you're disoriented. Um, and you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other because we're, we're all single file. Yeah. And, you know, if you stop, then you're, there's a whole bunch of people behind you who can't get around you. So oh. you have to keep going. Um, oh, gosh. And uh, at one point I was so... I, I was just, it was almost like I was having an out-of-body experience of yeah. watching myself walk up this mountain um, with this file of lights, because that's all you could see is the lights. Yeah. And I think at one point my light had gone, the battery was dying or something, um, but the person's light behind me 
was was lighting my path. Yeah. And um, it just it made as I was reflecting on it after, you know, it just it was, became a metaphor for you know the, the the trials that we go through in life. Sometimes your energy is low, your light feels like it's dim, but there's always someone behind you who can help light your path and give you the courage to keep going, whatever it is you're, you're, you're going through. Yeah. So that was a, a really key takeaway for me. Um, I mean, there were so many takeaways from that trip, <laughs> you know, but, but that one um, has really stayed with me. Um, that and the fact that I came off that mountain really feeling like I could just do anything now. Like I've yes. done that, I can do anything. Of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like superwoman yeah so, yes it was a great experience and I'm really glad that I did it yeah oh my gosh and so then you're climbing all night you get to the top the and so was the sun rising when you get like did you were you able to sort of like mentally rebound a little bit to mm -hmm. to say oh my gosh I am literally at the top of this mountain mm -hmm. you know I, I I really tried to be present yeah. There was an incredible sunrise, you know, you, you just saw the sliver of light right across the horizon, you know, and, and then the sun and the colors, and it was, it was really beautiful. Um, by then, I was so wrecked. <laughs> I was so cold. I could oh. not, I couldn't um, take my gloves off because, um, like, to use my phone because I would need help to put them on. Again. Yeah, and you couldn't have them off for too long because you know there's glaciers up there, and the wind was just ripping off the glaciers onto your face and wow. your hands and everything. And I, my one regret is, um, we got to take pictures in front of the the sign at the spot, and I, I was, I was like, I'm not taking my glove off again because. <laughs> <laughs> too much work to get it back on and it was too cold and I just wanted to get out of here yeah. um, so I did not use my own phone to take a picture of all of us at the summit I had to rely on other people's pictures yeah um, so I do regret that but yeah. yes we were up there for about um we were up there for about 20 minutes and then turned around and went back down oh my <laughs> and, gosh and um one funny story <clears throat> But we got up to the crest, and there's a sign at the crest that says you've reached, you know, 18,000 whatever feet. And um, and I saw that sign, and I started running, and I, I got down on my knees, and I grabbed the pole, and I started to cry. I just oh. tears because I was so happy. I thought I had reached the top. Yeah. And then one of the guides came by, and he's like, sister, don't cry. The top is just over there. Oh, no. <laughs> and he pointed somewhere off into the distance. I'm like, what? <laughs> top yet? <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh. But the top was only another 500, um, 500 meters or so, which is like, you know, once around a track, you know. Yeah. But it took us 45 minutes to get there. Oh, my gosh. Because we had, that's how slow we had to walk because the air was so thin and you just could not move any faster. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so tell me how wonderful it felt when 
you got back down the mountain, you're maybe back at your hotel room or whatever, you're taking the plane home. Like at what point on your way, on your return, did you have like the, the moments of just sort of recounting the entire experience? Yeah, well, I actually um, did a smart thing and I booked a trip to Zanzibar after, after the climb. Um, so I had four days on a beach and, you know, where I got pampered and just enjoyed, you know, this warm weather. And, <laughs> and um, I think it was like the, the, the second night that I was there, um, I had had dinner and there was a terrace and I was sitting out looking onto the water of the sunset and so on. Um, and I just kind of got really emotional because I was thinking about, oh my God, I did this amazing thing, yeah. you know, that I never thought I could do. And I just, it was moments like that where I, I think of um, my mother and my sister and the life that, you know, we had um, and my younger self, you know, would have never envisioned these accomplishments you know so yeah it was a moment i had to i had to take it in so yeah yeah, yeah. oh my gosh that it that is an incredible story and and i think that you know there are sort of so many correlations to you know overcoming adversity and being so proud of you know the um accomplishments that you were able to, you know, to, to do and to reach and having that network of, you know, people to help you along the way. Like I, I think that there are just so many sort of correlations to your professional and sort of your personal life of, uh, really that just align so perfectly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. And yes, you're absolutely right. I feel like my professional life, um, has enabled me to grow personally, um, yeah. you know, in, and, and I think a lot of people assume it's usually the other way around, but I've learned so much, um, in my relationships with other colleagues <clears throat> and how I've developed as a leader, um, and even relationships that I've had with donors, you know, mm -hmm. has really enabled me to grow as a person that I then take back to my personal relationships. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's been really a rewarding career that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. I thank you, Audrey, for sharing your story and uh, your professional background and this um, amazing experience that you had this year. I'm sure our listeners will take away so much from it, and maybe some of them will attempt a climb themselves one day. <laughs> no, I absolutely encourage people to you know, do whatever it is they need to do <clears throat> once to step outside their comfort zone and challenge themselves because you'll find that you can do things you never thought you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Audrey, for joining us. Um, I am wondering, is there a way that our listeners can get in touch with you? Like, are you on link? Can they connect with you on LinkedIn or where can they find you? Yes, absolutely. They can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. A.M. Johnson, um, Audrey M. Johnson is, uh, is my name on LinkedIn, so I can just do a search and find me, and I'm happy to reach out if anyone needs, uh, needs to connect. 
Okay, that sounds good. And again, if anyone would like to join the AFP uh, in any chapter or the AFP DC, Audrey and I are more than happy to answer any questions you may have. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Audrey. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Jen. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. There are so many incredible lessons we can glean from Audrey's experience, the rewards of moving outside of your comfort zone to try something new, and how the support of those around you can bolster you through the toughest times. Unfortunately, we had limited time on this episode, but Audrey is doing so much more in the nonprofit space, including advocating for the IDEA efforts within the AFP at the chapter and global level. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like more nonprofit fundraising resources, visit my website at charitygen.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, access free guides, and learn more about my book, The Insider's Guide to Online Fundraising. This has been From the Nest with Charity Jen, where fundraising takes flight. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Olas Media Network in San Diego, California. Jessica Garcia serves as general manager. Lena Alvarez is associate producer. Elia Ramos is creative director. JC Polk is executive producer and founding partner. And Chad Peace is our president and founding partner. Thank you for listening. Olas Media.